If you have your Bibles, find uh, John chapter number 5. John 5. You know, um, I love talking to people about the Lord. I love it. But I have this really simple methodology. I, I, just, I just put it out there, and I don't, I don't really give a lot of worry about it after that. I, I sort of use that parable of the sower as, as my, I would say, very holy motivation. I'm, I'm slinging seed, and the seed is the word of God. But sometimes I run up on people that want to talk about it, and that just delights me to no end. But there's these two types. There's the truly curious and questioning who want to know things, want to learn, want to see questions answered in a reasonable way from a reasonable person. And then there are people who pretend to be the sort of people who want reasonable answers from a reasonable person. And I've discovered something. Y'all ready for this? This is going to shock you. If reason alone will convert someone, then a reasonable person, given good reasons, will convert that person every time. But for a great many people, there's a pretension. They are pretending to want answers. They don't want answers. They want to find a reason to bring up more questions. For those people, when I discover I'm dealing with one of those, I just drop back to seed slinging and go on about my business. But I tell you, I do pray the Holy Spirit will knock down those weeds, will pull out those stones, and will break up that hard, hard ground so that the seed can get in. And I'm going to tell you, I have a lot of liberty in this. I have a lot of liberty. Recently, I was talking to one of these latter people who said they wanted reasons, but when you gave them reasons, they always wanted more reasons. And it's sort of like uh, you're sitting on a sinking ship, and before long, you just have to say, well, bud, I'm headed over to the life raft. You keep asking questions about all the available. I got to go. And uh, I'll let you sit here and think while you sink and let the band play on. Jesus tonight, we're in this third discourse, and this, it's really a two-part thing. We did the first part last week, and... Uh, and, and this week, he's dealing with some people who, you know, they don't, want, they don't want the case to be built. If they wanted the case to be built, then all of the witnesses that Jesus brings forth would do the trick. Um, some people, if you'll use this analogy, they go to a trial and they've already made up their mind, this person is guilty and they should hang. And no amount of evidence can clear them. Then other times there's these cases where this person is innocent and no amount of, uh, of reason you can give will acquit. Some of you guys are old enough to remember the O.J. Simpson trial. If it fits, you must acquit. They had the gloves. And, yeah, if it doesn't, well, it, you know, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, that man done something. I don't know what he done, but that man done something. If it doesn't fit, you must have quit, and it didn't fit. And, and I'll never forget the look on his face. I saw it on the news. He's like, he's holding the glove, not fitting, and he's like. And in that same area, they had the same area, you have video evidence of Rodney King getting the brakes beat off of him. I mean, the brakes of a video. 
and uh, none of those police officers went to jail. Uh, and uh, the greater public, uh, the greater public, uh, disagreed with both of those decisions. You know, the, the people there in L.A., <laughs> They did not agree, and they burnt down a good portion of the city in protest. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you should ever burn down a city, but I agreed with the protest spirit. I did. Uh, them boys was guilty. <laughs> um, we didn't even have cell phones. That was a camcorder. Uh, it was bad. Well, tonight, I think Jesus is going to bring up some witnesses that, you know, you have to not want to see these things to not see them. Now, you're sitting here saying, man, I already believe in Jesus. Why is this good for me? Let me give it to you. It's good for you for two reasons. When the devil sends his fiery darts and tries to bust your faith and burn you down, you will need evidence for your own heart. You'll need to return back to it and say, wait a minute, I'm not crazy for believing this stuff. It's foundational. It's real. I'm not walking with blind faith. I mean, this is solid. What's going on here? Oh, oh, the enemy's after me. And secondly, as you witness to people, as you witness to people, you're going to discover, you can give them solid evidence, and sometimes, man, they're saying it doesn't fit, so I'm going to acquit. And it doesn't matter what the other evidence says. John chapter 5, picking up in the middle of a story, uh, the latter part of John chapter 5, picking up in verse number 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Not that, not that the testimony that I receive from him is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness to me, that, about me, rather, that the Father has sent me. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to my Father. There is one to who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe in his writings, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Father, as we open the word tonight, encourage your people. Build our faith stronger tonight. Show us that there's solid evidence that our faith is not asking for blind belief, blind trust. You're asking us to just look at the evidence. 
and then not deny it. Also, Father, strengthen us in our witness to people around us. God, lead us to a greater trust of the Holy Spirit, to a deeper study of your word, to a simple trust in seed slinging. And lead us to be ministers, each and every one, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our circles of friends. Give us influence. Give us voice. Give us faithfulness in seed slinging. And if we find those souls who want reason, God, lead us to be reasonable people with solid reasons that we can share. In Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. So, um, <laughs> uh, so uh, when I was in the fifth grade, um, y'all gonna find this hard to believe, but when I was in the fifth grade, I, uh, I just didn't struggle in any of my subjects. And I had this brilliant teacher that instead of making me do repetitive work when I already clearly had the, had the concepts, which send me to help other people do things. And uh, one of the people I was sent to was the principal. Now, the, yeah, the principal knew me well for other reasons. As a matter of fact, that principal I had that year is later on the, the person who actually hired care for her job with the school system. And, uh, and uh, you know, I got stopped one day and, and, uh, and I, told my, I told my teacher, I said, uh, I mean, the principal, I said, listen, I got stopped. They told me I shouldn't be in the hallway. They made me go back to the classroom. I got back to the classroom. They sent me back to you. I said, I need something. And she said, what do you think you need? I said, I need some kind of permanent hall pass. She's like, oh, no. <laughs> she said, you're not getting I said, oh, man. And I told her I had read a book. I had read a book. And this is a true story. I had read a book recently called The Eagle Had Landed. And it was a fictional book about World War II. And this guy had gotten a, a note signed from from Adolf Hitler, and it, and it basically said, this guy can do anything, and you should help him. So I told her, I said, you're not Adolf Hitler, and I'm not a Nazi operative, but we could be. If you would just give me this note that with your signature, with your words, everywhere I went around the school, if I showed this to people, I could, just, I could be really free to serve you. She said no. <laughs> I thought it was a brilliant concept. It didn't work. I wanted people to see that I had all the reason in the world to not be in class. I had all the reason in the world to be over at the library, the cafeteria, the gym. I had all the reason to be anywhere at Bethel Hill Elementary School that I desired to be. But my teacher wouldn't give me that reason. I mean, my principal. So here's what I did. I'm a brilliant guy. I'm a very brilliant guy. I made my own. And this was in the days before there were printers everywhere. And I got something with her signature on it, and I just kept tracing it until it went through. Oh, yeah. Also, kids, ask me how I got my license at 15 years old sometime. You should read novels. Um, and I started whipping it out on people. I was just say, oh, Miss Witt gave me a pass. <laughs> I'm good to go. And it worked. Until someone said they couldn't believe that Miss Witt gave me this pass. And Miss Witt said, where did you get this pass? And I told her, I made it. When you don't see a good idea, that's not my problem. It was a great idea. <laughs> she rescinded this pass and issued something else and told me if I ever made another one, she would issue another of these punishments that I did not enjoy. I learned my lesson. You say, what's this got to do with anything? 
You know, some people are just trying to get over, and some people are trying to miss how God is getting in. I love what we just read, because Jesus just says, man, guys, you've got the Father through John the Baptist, you've got the works, you've got the Father himself, and you've got the Scripture. He has four supreme proofs. Any one of them are saying, like, he's the man, believe on Jesus, and they're going, we don't care if the principal sent you, the teacher sent you, the librarian sent you, the head of the cafeteria. Your behind is not going to be out in this hallway. Well, you guys know the story up till now. In John chapter number one, I mean, excuse me, chapter number five, you know the story. He's healed the man at the, at the pool on the Sabbath. And, and the, the guys who are watching everything happening on the Sabbath are more mad that this guy is walking and, t- and toting on the Sabbath then they are excited about what Jesus is doing. And so the scripture just told us point blank in John 5, 18, they were seeking all the more to kill him. Now that's a frightening phrase. They were already seeking to kill him. Like, so on the level of you know, zero to 10, how are you guys seeking to Jesus? Oh, we were at a four, but now we're at a seven. What happened? Oh, he told a guy to walk and tote on the Sabbath. So we've wrenched it up. We really want to kill him now. Carson and I went, where did Carson go? I lost. Carson, you remember that first time we went to that one Thai restaurant and, and we're like, uh, we're like, uh, it's like how, how, how hot do you guys want your food? And I think I said a four. And I think Carson was dumb instead of five. The next morning we called each other suffering. And my kidding, we didn't even finish our food. We were both sitting there just sweating and we we're like, okay. We got to, we're going back. I think when we went back, Carson said three. I was like, negative 16, please. <laughs> well, this is the opposite of that again. Like, oh, we wanted to kill Jesus, but now we would like a spicy five. We really want to kill Jesus. Why do they want to kill Jesus? Don't forget this. This is so critical to understand what's going on. They want to kill Jesus because on the one hand, and this is sort of noble. They're like, who does this guy think he is? He's, he's, he's making a claim here that he's, he's not just sent from God. Because, you know, we kind of see he's a smart teacher. He's doing some miracles. We can deal with that. But he's making this claim that he is one with God, equal with God. Like, that's not right. I, I agree. Amen. So Jesus makes this argument on that. He says, well, if, if I am from God, it would be proven by what I do. And if I am from God, I can't help but do what God would do because I'm just being myself. And they're like, no, we don't like that. <laughs> but the second part of it, don't forget, don't forget John 3, 19. They reject him because they love the darkness. Don't forget that. They reject him because they love the darkness. Don't forget the big parts of this story. So this is a continuation today. They still want to kill him. And Jesus is going, okay, guys, let's look at some evidence. And see if you got a leg to stand on. Really quickly, let me share with you guys a few things that I think will really encourage your walk. Number one, I want you guys to see the humility of Jesus in his reply to his detractors. See his humility. This is a restatement in verses 30 and 31, or 30 through 32 rather. He is saying like, all judgment has been given to me, but I'm just judging like I was told to judge. Before he says, all authority has been given to me, and by extension, I'm only using that authority how I've been told to use it. 
he has already said, I'm not doing anything that the Father hasn't told me to do. In other words, from eternity past, he has known his place in the Godhead, and he is not, he is not going past that mandate in the flesh. As a matter of fact, that mandate is more important in the flesh. Pause. Pause. In December, we'll be meditating on the incarnation. And, uh, you know, really, really, Karen and I were talking about this recently. I don't know what's crazier, the resurrection or the incarnation. When I try to think about them, both of them are really crazy to me. Uh, that someone come back from the dead or that God would become flesh. And when God became flesh, that's a really weird thing. Right, Someone come from outside of our ecosystem, outside of our universe, into our galaxy and became one of us. The power that could create this has laid down that power and taken on this frailty. That's, that's a totally wild story, right? But when he laid that down, it wasn't, it wasn't that flesh added deity, it's that deity added flesh. It's a big distinction. And in his flesh, he stayed subservient to the Father and he only did what the Father told him to do. In other words, as, as Jesus in the flesh, as God in the flesh, he did not do exactly what Adam did. He did not come up with his own mandate. This shows us the humility of the Messiah. I'm just doing what the Father told me to do. I'm only saying what the Father told me to say. But you also have to see that this incenses those guys. They're going, oh, wait a minute. He, stop it. He is saying he's, he's, only, he's so in tune with God that he only does what God tells him to do. Do you realize what this guy is saying? They're angry. They're angry. Even though from heaven's vantage point, and it should be from ours, Jesus is being as humble as God in the flesh could possibly be. You actually see him take up this argument again in John chapter 8, and we'll re revisit it again. Secondly, secondly, I want you to see the witnesses that Christ calls to his case. I'm going to fly through this because there's no other way to do it. He calls to the stand, basically three witnesses, but one of those three has a front man, so we'll say it's four witnesses. The first witness that he calls to the stand is the father through John the Baptist. And there's a little word play here. Go back and visit those verses with me in your Bible. He says, uh, he says to these guys, you sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. It's like you guys went and asked John, okay? Now verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. All right, now this is where we got to pause and understand what's going on. It's kind of deep. He says, you guys went and asked John, and John says, yeah, I'm not fit to, to tie the laces on his sandals. I'm the voice of the one coming beforehand. But what he's saying is, don't you guys get it? John is just a servant of the Father. It's not that John's testimony is so important. It's that who sent John, that's whose testimony is really important. The same thing I could say, okay? I could say, Kent, it's not important that you believe Tim Bowes. And let's make a ridiculous example. All right. You don't like the Dallas Cowboys. You don't like the Virginia Cavaliers. So what? I can try to convince you. You still say, Tim, I don't care. I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. I don't like the Virginia Cavaliers, and I don't like you. He said all these things so many times. 
I've known Kent a long time. That's not important. It's just not important. Who cares if you don't agree with me about Virginia Cavaliers or the Dallas Cowboys or my personality? But if I read this word and say, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and you say, I reject you, Tim, I go, wait a minute, Kent, there's some danger there. I am, in this case, I'm just a messenger. It doesn't matter if you agree with me about sports. Somebody say amen. It doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, that stuff should just be the fun spice of life. But, Ken, if I read to you a Bible verse and you say, I don't believe you, it's okay to reject the messenger. It's cool, actually. I'm not, but to reject this message is to reject the one who sent it. So they say, you ask John. He said, but it's important you guys understand. Whether you believe John or not, who you're really wrestling with here is the father. This is deep, isn't it? Does that mean every preacher comes from God? Well, I wrote a Greek word here to answer that question. You might guess it's hogwash. Some preachers don't come from God, and how can you tell? Because they don't agree with God. They take his word and literally speak it, but also literally twist it in their speaking. <laughs> He's like, you guys agreed with John. Cool. What did John say? John says, Jesus is the one. Where did John get that message? From God. Now, if John had come out and says, listen, all y'all got to eat locusts and honey and wear weird clothes. We go, uh, where does God say that everybody has to do that? Nowhere. Okay, we can reject that. We can't reject this other thing. Second, second witness. The father through the works of the son. Hone in on verse 36. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness of me about, uh, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Okay, so I'm going to tell y'all one of the most unbelievable things you've ever heard me say about myself. You won't believe this. So in ninth grade, at the end of ninth grade, I think I was about 5'3". Uh, I probably would have lied and told you I was 5'4" because I wore cowboy boots a lot. But, but I had this goal. I just wanted to dunk a basketball. I, just, I, mean, I mean, for real, on a 10-foot goal. And I could jump out the roof. I mean, I could jump. The way I practiced jumping is I jumped over the front of cars all the time. That was one of my hobbies. I would run, and I've, I've, I've missed a couple times and tumbled over the hood, and I busted my face in Rose's parking lot one time doing it and also dented someone's car, and that wasn't good. So I, I could jump. I, so I figured out, last day of ninth grade, we're early release, they're calling buses, we're waiting in the gym, and I had been trying to dribble, pick up my dribble, and dunk a basketball. Well, I just stopped trying to dribble. And I got up and dunked it. And my friend saw me, and we, almost every Sunday, we played basketball with a bunch of older dudes, and uh, that, that Sunday, he says, Tim dunked the last day of school. They said, no, he didn't. He said, yes, he did. And, and they immediately looked at me and said, do it again. 
On about my seventh try, I did. I flushed it. This is that story. They're like, oh, my friend's name was Noel. They said, yo, you don't want to believe Noel? Uh, we'll, we'll believe you by your works. Cool, pipe. Never in my life done it in the game because you also have to dribble in the game. And uh, also there are people who are trying to kill you around here when you play basketball. Am I, am I right or wrong, Casey? Yes, but I will kill you if you try to dunk on me. I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. But do you see how silly this silly illustration works? He goes, oh, y'all don't want to believe John's testimony. Cool, what have I been doing? Who else could do these things? He said, I got something better than John saying I'm the man. I've been doing the work that only the man could do. I love that if John the Baptist had heard this, I truly believe John the Baptist would have went, amen, tell him, Jesus. He would not have disagreed. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, Jesus says this, false Christ, false prophets will arise, will show great signs and wonders, so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. In other words, there are a lot of people doing a lot of stuff. You want an example of this? Go back to when Moses stands in front of the uh, Pharaoh and the Pharaoh trots out some magicians and they basically have a magic off. I mean, you know, what else do you call it? Moses does a work from the Lord and they do some David Copperfield stuff. Moses done a work from the Lord, does some David Copperfield stuff. They finally get to a place where them guys are going, no, nah, he wins. We can't do that. You've done something only God could do. No, no sleight of hand. As one preacher said, no motions, no potions, and no lotions. Just the power of God. Amen? So it wasn't just that you could say works. Works would convince everyone. But if you do enough works that no sleight of hand can do, at some point somebody ought to believe you. Thirdly, third witness, the father himself. Now, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because in verse 37 and 38, he says, man, if y'all would listen, the father is saying. If y'all would listen, the father is saying. That's what he's basically saying. Now, if you'll remember, if you'll remember, you get this point in Jesus' public baptism, quickest place to find is Matthew chapter 3 verse 16 where a voice from heaven says what this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and it says other people heard that voice and it tripped them out go read the account for yourself I don't think he's saying that everybody would have heard that what he's saying is if you would listen God is speaking if you would now I would say that's one of the greatest pieces of evidence today. Anybody know some of the major witnesses that God uses on a daily basis? Anybody? Take a guess. Creation. The whole thing is screaming, look to a creator. Look to a creator. Look to a creator. They got this new telescope coming out. What's it called, Steve? Y'all, I just knew you were in a, It's a new one, Right? Well, the, the Hubble, did y'all know the Hubble's been pointed at one spot for like 10 years? Did y'all know that? Well, they got a new one coming out. It's going to be huge. I mean, it's a lot, lot bigger than the Hubble. 
they basically have said the Hubble's been looking at a spot that to us, to our eye, looks like it's this big. And they can see, they've, they've, they've looked at it and there's like more galaxies than they can count. Right? And in our galaxy alone, if you, if you got on the Concord, it would take you millions of years to fly across it. It's, I mean, we don't get a, you know, you look at those little models with all the planets, and you go, oh, it's this far from here to Pluto. Cool. <laughs> no. There's millions of miles from here to Pluto. Millions. And the Hubble is telling us there are a lot of galaxies way bigger than this one. How do you even get to them? We don't know. And if you got to them, how long would it take to cross them? We don't know. And Psalm 19 says, oh, yeah, I'll explain all of that to y'all. Every night, the whole sky is preaching God. So it's more amazing that across this vast, mostly empty space, God has made a garden. And in that garden, he's put people. And he's given those people some amount of freedom. And we're not as free as he is, but we're free in our garden. And when we messed up, he stepped into this garden space. He stepped into this garden space. You think he would make all this vastness, make some spot so personal, and not have a habit of dealing with the life on it? I don't. It's just illogical. He tells these guys, if you guys would listen, the Father's always speaking. And I'm positive you're not listening because if you were, he would be telling you a lot of stuff all the time. Last witness, very quickly. It's the scriptures. It's the scriptures. In, in the last eight, nine verses, in verses 39 through 47, let me tell y'all what he basically says. He says, you guys think that through the work of studying the scripture, God will approve of your work and you'll be saved because you've done good work. But I'm telling you, boys, if you've looked into that book and you haven't seen me, then you've missed the point of that book. There was a, a very, very famous rabbi uh, a few generations before Jesus. His name was Hillel. If you, if you got a John MacArthur study Bible, ESV study Bible, NIV application, I mean study Bible, a life application study Bible, if you read the notes enough, you're going to come across this guy's name. Hillel basically said, let me quote him actually. He says, uh, he says, the more wealth you have, the more cares you'll have. The more maid servants you have, the more lewdness you have. The more men servants you have, the more thieving you'll have. The more women you have, the more witchcraft you'll have. The more Torah you have, the more life you'll have. In other words, he says everything you get comes with something more. And he says if you study the, the Torah more, you'll get life. Now he says this, whoever has gained the words of the Torah has gained for himself life in the world to come. In other words, this very prominent teacher says, if you study God's word, he'll save you because of that good work. Very famous teaching in their day. Jesus says, I'm telling y'all boys, you can study that scripture 24-7, 365, and if it hasn't pointed you to me, you've missed the whole point of the scripture. God's not going to respect your good work of studying. Now, I'm sure my children hate it when I do this, but you know, my wife is, we come home every day, and she wants to know how everyone's day was, and she actually means it, and it's nerve-wracking. And 
I'm one of those ones I never want to repeat all my day. You know, I just lived through it. That was enough. But the, the other females I live with tend to enjoy this. Rachel starts telling us about her day yesterday. Well, I, uh, my boss gave me a list. I think you said, what, seven things, Rachel, she had to do. And, and, uh, and she, one of those was to unbox some furniture at the furniture store she works at. She unboxes this piece of furniture, and it's in pieces inside. In other words, it had never been assembled. So she just assembles it, right? And I said, did you tell your employer? She's like, no, they'll, they'll realize it's put together now. They'll know. I said, you should have told them. They want, may wonder why did it take you so long to do that task. She says, they'll figure it out, right? Here again, that's the opposite. Rachel opens a box that she's been told, open these boxes. The furniture isn't put together. She sees, oh, I'm opening a box of furniture. The furniture's not put together. Here's reason. Put the furniture together. The employer will come and say, oh, Rachel saw that the natural byproduct of opening a box of a piece of furniture is not put together. Put together a piece of furniture. Here's what he's telling them. If you studied the word and hadn't arrived at me, you didn't learn anything. He says, and hey, boys, I'll trot out one more witness for you. Moses would tell you you didn't get it either. At this point, they would have all pulled out their knives and started screaming, ah, kill Jesus now. How can you grow from this today? It's really kind of simple. The Father's speaking through many servants, John the Baptist being one. The, the works that Jesus did were seen of so many witnesses. You can look at this from a legal standpoint, a medical standpoint, a journalistic standpoint. This is probably the most amazing book, the most amazing and complete testimony about the most different things that has ever been invented, ever. This book is a literal miracle. His works have been witnessed and attested to. It's solid. If you'll listen, listen, the Father's speaking. Do I mean that he's opening up the roof and speaking to you? Is he, is he, vo is he you know, literally saying, Casey, listen to me. I'm going to tell you, if somebody comes up to you and tells you that God's doing that, be careful. Hard to say. I'm not going to say he ain't. I'm just saying you better, you better be careful. All them folks say, God told me. I'm like, whoa, 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 how did he tell you? I'm telling you. He's speaking to people. He's dealing with people. Probably the easiest thing to discern every single time is God's word. Is God's word. The evidence is here. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Why don't some people receive this? If you ever say he's the one, you're also saying, he's my boss. And that's where the rubber starts to hit the road. Now, you just think about anything you don't like to be bossed around in. He's coming for it. You want to do whatever you want to with your body? Oh, he's coming for that. You want to do whatever you want to with your money? He's coming. You want to do whatever you want to do with your time? You might want to take a guess. He's coming. 
And we know that. We don't want him to be the boss of everything. I just want him to be the boss of stuff that I don't feel like I'm the boss of. Like, I don't know how to resurrect myself and not go to hell. So if you could just resurrect me and not go me to hell, I'll take care of this other stuff. Problem. He's coming. He's coming for all that stuff. And there's days I don't like that. You know, like when I get in disagreements with people, I don't want him to be the Lord of my conversation. I want to be the boss of my conversation. Because I want to say things Jesus does not want me to say. I want to do things that he would not approve of. When I get my money, I don't want to think about tithing or giving or being responsible. I want to party. I want weekends away. I want to blow it. More Jolly Ranchers. More cans of cold spaghetti. More expensive lemonade. I want it all, and I want it now. Comes to my time, I want to do what I want to do. I want to read nerdy history books all the time and watch classic movies. I want to avoid mowing the grass by doing anything else. But all that's the silly stuff. What we really could jeopardize our souls over is that we won't make him Lord and we'll miss life. We'll miss life. That's the part that scares me, y'all. I have people around me that they're going to miss life because they want to be a boss of something so small. I don't want to miss life. I actually look back and I'm glad there are people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. I'm glad there's people in these ranks who seems like they come to Jesus. I'm glad that the, the wife of, of, of different officials like Agrippa is like, I'm listening to Jesus. There are people who totally rejected him, and there are also people in that same circle who said, I'm not going to miss life. Let's don't be the sort of people who miss life. Also, it helps you in your witness. He's the man. The father speaks. His servants speak. The scripture speaks. His works speak. You don't have to trick people. You don't have to twist their arm. Just give them Jesus and let the Holy Ghost do the work. But do give them Jesus. So what does your commitment need to be tonight? Is there something that he's coming for in your life? Let him come. Has the enemy been trying to unseat your faith? Stand on the evidence. Are you being a faithful servant with the gospel? It's time. As we sing a song in a moment, let the Spirit speak to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look deeply into this passage. More importantly, Father, we thank you that this passage looks deeply into us. Of all the faith, all the movements, all the religions in the world, this faith you have given us, this Christian faith, it answers all of the huge questions with evidence, with logic, with reason, with evidence. Father, if reason alone could convince us, we'd all be reasonable people. There's still this element where you have to speak to our spirit and we have to receive it. So, Lord, I pray you speak to East Rock Community Church. I pray you use us to speak to Roxborough and to Person County. Make us strong witnesses 
who walk with you, who represent you, who speak of you. Now, God, you speak to us and show us how to respond. In Christ I pray, amen.